Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on self worst. Okay, hello, hi, what's up? We doing this? Are we ready? Is this the take of the intro that's gonna actually make it in to the episode? We'll see. I don't know yet. I'm just, I'm just uh, uh, here along with you uh, for the adventure of it, making it up as I go along. Hi, I'm Brad Pearson. Welcome to my show. I'm a little tired. I'm a little numb these days, feeling kind of. I don't know if anybody else is experiencing this. Just uh, the stress of the pandemic and the. War and uh, just the state of the world. There's a lot of stress to take in, and I can really only be in like DEFCON 1 for so long before I just kind of tune out. So I'm just sort of hollowed out, and I just feel like I got a couple hours of energy per day. And uh, daylight savings, that's helped. You know, I think technically it's daylight saving, singular, but nobody says that. Nobody says that. And if you correct people, you'll get your ass beat. They're like, hi hey guys, actually it's daylight saving time, not daylight savings. Like, you're gonna get a wedgie. So don't. Anyway, that's been helping a little. A little bit more sun. A little bit more, uh, you know, just fresh spring air. We got the birds singing and stuff. As I've been saying, it, that's helping. But I feel like I've, like, bottomed out my serotonin or something. Has anybody else been feeling this way? Like I've, uh, like I've been such a serotonin and dopamine junkie for like 10 years doing whatever I can to like really like boost those levels as much as I can because I don't have any naturally occurring that like now I just get this like diminishing return every time and it's like I push that button and it's just a little like comes out just like a little bit and I have to go to more and more extreme lengths to get that dopamine get that serotonin that's probably fine probably won't lead to anything bad that's <laughs> okay neurochemically I'm doing great I think exercising trying to stay right eat right treat myself kindly Oh, here's a win. I avoided a meltdown last week. I wanted to tell you about this. Avoided a meltdown last week uh, by using a DBT skill. I used a STOP skill. That's an acronym for uh, S. Uh, is, is, is literally STOP. It's a little weird that the acronym has the word for the acronym in the first letter. You know what I mean? Like it's, the acronym is STOP and the first letter is also STOP. But whatever. You physically stop. You freeze. You, you stop on your heels, right? 
and uh, then T, take a step back. You, uh, you can actually physically take a step back. Some people find that is helpful. And then O, uh, that's the next letter. I probably should have written this down. I'm, I'm just trying to remember it off the top of my head. Uh, o is observe. Observe uh, what's around you. Observe what's going on inside you, your feelings, physical sensations, whatever's going on. And P is, uh, oh no, I don't remember. Proceed mindfully. That's what it is. You keep on doing what you need to do. So here's what happened. Last week, I, uh, I was, it was raining, it was crappy out, and uh, I had a hat, had a little, you know, got, got my little Carhartt beanie, you know, um, and uh, put it in the coat, uh, in the pocket of my raincoat, and biked up a hill to go to my next visit up two avenue blocks in the rain. I was like, this is annoying. I don't know why I'm still doing this. I'm not making enough money for this, this shit that I put myself through every day. Cold, tired, tired of biking up this fucking hill every day. And I get to my next walk, which is on, uh, it's off of 8th Avenue. I was all the way, I'd come from 5th Avenue. That's three avenue blocks uphill. That's not... That ain't nothing to sneeze at. In the rain. So I was already, like, feeling like, Ugh, man. I looked down. Got my... Ugh. Carhartt hat. Not in the pocket anymore. Must have fallen out. So, what did I do? I stopped. I took a step back. I observed. I observed, okay, uh, feeling pretty angry about that. that. I like that hat. I don't want to go buy another one because uh, I'm poor and a uh, $20 beanie because that's what a Carhartt beanie costs. Is gonna, that's just another fucking annoying expense. I don't need that. So should I go back and get it? Could have fallen, probably fell out of my pocket the instant I took off. I'm annoyed. It's probably just like sitting in the street getting all full of dirty New York rainwater. It's probably already gone. I don't even know if it's worth saving at this point. Fuck. So I'm feeling mad. That's the observation. What's going on outside me? It's cold. It's misty. It's gloomy. It's a little... It's pissing rain. So that's annoying me. Okay. So I'm not in a good mood. Observed. Noted. And I proceeded mindfully. I backtracked. And I found my hat. I found it. It was on the street. Yeah, it had been run over a couple times. It was fine. It wasn't like in some dog shit or anything. And. Check it out. There's a moment for gratitude. Because I reminded myself right there. Oh yeah. I got a washer dryer in my unit in my apartment. I can just pop this bad boy right in that washer dryer tonight when I get home. 
Take all my wet clothes off, throw them right in that washer. Isn't that nice? Nothing to freak out about. A little annoying, but you did not need to escalate. And you didn't. Look at you. Not throwing a fit. Not letting it totally derail your day. Because something like that would, and I know that sounds fucking silly. But that's... I'm a silly guy. I'm a, a dumb, emotional man baby. And I have to deal with that every day of my life. Which is why I'm applying these skills. Anyway, that's my win of the week. Great job, Brad. You didn't freak out over just a stupid hat and ruin your day over nothing. You applied a skill. You did it. My guest today is Jocelyn Chase. I know her from uh, college. I went to uh, way back in another lifetime, feels like. Uh, the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. She was a photo major. I was a film major. So, you know, there was some overlap. We had a work-study job together. And, uh, you know, we've just always been we're cool. We're just, we're just, we're just two cool uh, blondies uh, just, just living in the world. She's lived in New York for a while. And, uh, you know, we've we've been abreast of each other. Is that the correct use of that? We're friendly acquaintances. I wouldn't say we're like buddies, but we're, you know, friendly. And I always thought, actually, she's really interesting and she makes uh, cool art. And uh, seems to, you know, just social media presence-wise, has a, has a lot of good takes. So I want to have her on the show. So I did. That's the story. I will um, warn you that the audio quality of this episode, uh, since it was over Skype... Oh, Skype. Nobody fucking uses Skype anymore, you fucking idiot. Over Zoom... Uh, her end, it came in a little, it came in a little tinny. What are you going to do? That's what we're dealing with. You know, we're in the remote age. We rarely get to see people IRL. I mean, we can now, really. But I think we've also kind of collectively decided that like, eh, it's kind of easier to just do our half our lives over Zoom now. I don't want to go back to the fucking office. I don't go back to... I don't want to bring her up and have to commute from Flatbush, Brooklyn all the way to Red Hook. That's not necessary. I'll just do it over... So it sounds a little weird. Sorry. I'm preemptively defensive about it. Don't yell at me. Fucking stop whining. Listen to the episode as is. It's the audio quality leaves a little something to be desired. Get over it. Okay? People have worse problems. If you would like to help me out, get better audio equipment, patreon.com slash selfworst. I got bonus episodes. I'm about to record one in a minute, actually. Um, Because... 
we're all we're home alone today. It's just me and Dottie. Dottie's right outside uh, my office door. For whatever reason, she doesn't like coming in here. I think the radiator makes some noise or something. She's decided she doesn't like this room. So anytime me or Caitlin are in here and we're doing work, she just sits outside and whines and is sad. And we're like, you can come in here. Your dog bed's in here. It's totally fine. You can just sit at our feet. No? Okay. You just want to sit out there and be sad. Don't like this room. Got it. She's like that. Anyway, I got the house to myself. Me and Dottie. Just, uh, just, just Papa and Dottie. And what are we going to do this evening? We're going to record some, record some content. Um, I already ate a whole bag of chips, so check that off the list. And, uh, I don't know. You know, watch a DVD. Play some uh, Disco Elysium, you know. Just just do my do my bachelor shit while I get the chance, you know. While the ball and chains away, you know what I mean, fellas. All right. Enough of that. Let's go to the episode with my friend. Yeah, she's a friend, and you're my friend. We're all friends here. My friend Jocelyn Chase. Let's go. Making art. Making art, hell yeah! Art. Uh, what what's yeah, your what's yeah. your medium? You were a photo major in in college, right? Um, yes, yeah. Um, so I'm still working with photo, and uh, yeah, I'm totally analog. Which is, um, you know, I guess there's been a lot of different steps to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, um, you know, get out of undergrad and then I'm still, you know, like riding that train. I've jumped a lot of cars, but right. um, yeah. Yeah, making cool. art. Hell yeah. yeah. Subsisting off of your own artwork, which is like, that's the fucking, that's the dream. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, well, and there are lots of other dreams, but yeah, sure. it's one of them. <laughs> I mean, unrealistic yeah, based on, you know, yeah. based on your pre-interview packet, it seems like you're in a really good spot now and like you, you're, you're, you're in a good stride and, and life is good. Um, and, and that's great. I'm happy for you. That's not what this podcast is about, though. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's you know, let's rewind a little bit. Let's go to the beginning. Okay. You know, you had uh, uh, seems you had a bit of a tumultuous childhood. Um, by the way, uh, for the listener, yeah. I'm talking to my friend Jocelyn Chase. We went to MCAD together, uh, Minneapolis College of Art and Design, uh, a thousand years ago, and um, and you know, it, we both been kind of like living in the city, but we honestly we haven't really had that. Deep Deep of a, a conversation ever like you know we've just sort of been friendly acquaintances all, all this time yeah. so I'm looking forward to just like uh not only recording this but you know just getting to know you uh more as a person in general totally well and I will mention that um Brad is one of the people that I worked with as an undergrad when I had like a work-study job oh that's right and Brad was one of my favorite people to talk to. So, like, whether or not Brad knows it, I have, like, always enjoyed our, like, random, you know, kind of, like, one-liner anecdotes in passing. So it's nice to also be here and get to know yeah, you a little right? bit better. Wasn't that a yeah. fucking great job? Oh, my God. I, I look back on that job sometimes, yeah. and I'm just like, man, those were the days. Just, like, go in, I mean, like... Sandra Marble, I'm, like, all the time. She like, rules. Oh, you, Sandra Marble. Yeah. <laughs> It was just so, it was just so like, you know, like I would go in there, it was so low stakes. I'd go in there, like 
I, I worked like the weekend shift and they opened like kind of weirdly early on Saturdays. Sometimes I remember yeah. they opened at like seven or eight in the morning and I just I like, was always, like sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Go in there like hung over and like put on some music and just like sit and I was watching like lost on my laptop or whatever and just like intermittently. Sounds people right. Yeah. And just like, it was just what a great, what a great fucking time. Just a good ass yeah. crew. Ben Innes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's uh yeah it's often like it's just a delight when anybody from that sphere comes back into my world mm-hmm. i'm often like just uh, it feels like a blessing um yeah so since then i stuck around minneapolis for a couple of years after school and then um was doing some like work in the photo world in new york and started waitressing as my primary or you know like waiting tables mm-hmm. as my primary um kind of gig and then got into art handling I mean all of it was like a fluke truthfully like actually that job at MCAD um Jake Usna got me like a, a I don't know if it was like a full five-day job cleaning an AV closet at the new museum and that was like one of my first gigs in New York and that's kind of like anyhow that was right. that was like my step into like I had lunch with uh Hendrick Garrett's and he was like you know have you ever done art handling why don't you work on the Elizabeth Payton show? And I was like, okay, sure. And so that's sort of how I then, I didn't intend to work in museums. Yeah. Um, but from, you know, most of my professional life over the last decade has been uh, working in museums. Okay, yeah. Like, as a laborer, yeah. Right, I've dabbled in art handling. I feel like I might be kind of going back to it uh in a while like I've mostly been walking dogs and like that's fine it's good solitary work I like dogs but it also doesn't pay yeah. very well doesn't really set up much of a future for me so a friend of mine is starting a uh, art handling like like employee owned like really cool lefty like uh, employee owned art handling and moving co-op um, he wants he wants me cool. in on it so we're you know I might be going back into that world, but for a couple of years, yeah, I was doing, uh, uh, I was mostly building crates. That's what, that was, oh, wow. that was the side That's of it. Super, that I, I mean, that kind of carpentry knowledge is. Yeah, it's great. Endlessly I mean, it's, useful. it's, I mean, it is, but it's also like, that's like the most basic carpentry, like in the world. It's, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, no. I've know. done it's, some cabinetry work. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that like crate building, I'm not a crate builder. Right. Um, I have, made crates for televisions because like that was my sphere of the art world was in av but uh i think it's on par with cabinetry it's like if it doesn't your measurements you measure twice you got to measure twice sure measure twice but yeah so far as like comparing it to like building i don't know furniture i think it's it's less ornate it's much simpler it's there's a lot less moving parts you're building a box most of the time well, i'm not it's not to say that it's yeah that's not to say that it's easy it's you know it's not it's not easy work but it is like i would say on the more maybe rudimentary side of carpentry like you just you know you you use a chop saw a table saw a router staple gun nail gun that's about it you know and it, it's pretty simple like we we had a bandsaw but we like never fucking use that thing except to like cut foam like it, it, it just like there wasn't Love the band song. you know there, we weren't doing like norm abrams shit there wasn't like mortise and tenon joints you know there was no like real complicated shit going on it was it was just very you know simple which i liked i actually kind of like that yeah. uh that work it's meditative and uh and nice but 
I don't know. Work is work is fucking work, you know. <laughs> well, art handling is interesting because, uh, like, like I just said, like, oh, I got into the AV side. Um, there are so many nuances. So, mm-hmm. like, you're talking about like crate. I mean, you know, like that's why I'm like, I've seen some crates, and like, not all crates are the same. So, no, I think yeah, there's a bunch of different the more types. involved you get into like your craft, it becomes an art form, you know. And I think right. that's an interesting way to think about art as well, instead of it being focused on like, you know, this genius. It's also diligence. It's hard right. work. Yeah. Right. Um, so. Let's let's rewind further. I think I that that was what I, I got sidetracked. Right, I wanted to sorry, I wanted I'll to go back. I wanted to go back to right. um you know uh beginnings, origin, childhood, um stuff mm-hmm. like that with you. Let's let's talk about that. Um, however you want to, wherever you want to start that. Yeah, I mean, let's see. So we're talking about influences and um, development of of a you know like if I'm going to go from a specific angle, development of. Uh, artistic gifts or mm-hmm. uh, through line maybe. Um, and I would say, yeah, I mean, as a little kid, I really enjoyed um, drawing and, you know, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I made books before I could write, you know, I liked making things. Um, and so, so yeah, it was really an outlet for me through school. You know, I excelled artistically. Um, and yeah, I was the middle of, three girls. Um, my parents split up when I was four or five, like going into kindergarten. Um, and yeah, I'm from like a fundamentalist Christian upbringing. So, um, that was like the end of the world for my mom's life and her, I guess, I don't know. Divorced in the eyes of the church. Like you're so, yeah, it was like, I like, I think, you know, and so I've at different times I've thought about sort of what that looked like to her. And I think it was, you know, like she was being influenced by people telling her to just like get married again. And, um, and then, so she went into school and was very busy, uh, as a single mom when I was young and my dad went into the national guard and was also really busy. Um, cause they both were intending to be like, uh, my dad went to school to be a pastor and my mom also, you know, didn't finish her degree. She started having kids. Um, so it was, it was, uh, heavily influenced by religion and there wasn't a lot of supervision there. Um, yeah, they were pretty preoccupied with themselves. So I'm really grateful that I have an older and a younger sister and that was really influential. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew, it was Pentecostal, right? That was the, The branch I've talked to one I had another guest on the show uh Bronwyn Isaac who grew up in like a like Pentecostal you know flames and snakes and shit kind of speaking in tongues church and like it's fascinating I'm I'm glad I didn't grow up in it um and and you know I'm usually glad to hear when like people get away from that shit but it's it's crazy that to me that like that exists I guess uh and you know there's there's no shortage like there's a fuck ton of Pentecostal churches here in Brooklyn you like walk past them and hear like the screaming and whatever going on totally. inside and you know people coming out and like sweating and fanning themselves and shit and you're just like that's that's some intense shit like but uh what was it like for you as you know as a as a child it seems like it um you were saying it instilled a lot of like uh, you know, apocalyptic uh, fears, you know, they're big on the rapture and the end of the world and all of that stuff. And that is uh, not yeah. fun stuff for, for a baby to be thinking about. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I was always a little, um, I don't really know how to describe it, dreamy or something as a kid. You know, I had kind of a wild imagination anyway. Um, so, so yeah, the, the um, end time stuff was really a lot to grapple with. Um, the supernatural, I think that really like shook me that there would be this, I saw this film that like I had insomnia for six months afterwards um, about the end of the world and this person wakes up and their whole family is like disappeared and it was like right. really horrifying um but yeah so so all of that like one I will say um good thing about my parents getting divorced is that my mom ended up working for this psychiatrist who is also um, an atheist Jewish guy from Brooklyn and uh so as a little girl I was exposed to a different way of seeing the world um mm-hmm. and the way that he talked about god or like understanding of like a higher power to me like made sense and it was also like agreeable with whatever kind of dogma i'd been kind of just inundated with so um they got married around the age of like seven or you know there was some time in there to nine i think maybe around 10 i stopped going to that church um but uh but i think you know during a really pivotal point when it was maybe the worst had the worst impact. Um, I know that he was present. And so that kind of, in a weird way, sort of balanced right. some of it psychologically. Yeah. Hmm. Do you believe in a higher power now? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, is it? T- yeah. t- tell me about it. Um, well, I don't really necessarily see it as like it, I think it's more like a, <clears throat> a way or something, sure. you know, I was trying to think about it's a this, they, like, them. <laughs> It's definitely a they though. Right. Uh, but I, but I think it's, um, you know, I, I've really been interested in the Bhagavad Gita over the last seven years. Um, I found that the most useful. Mm. And before that, I, I found um, Buddhism really helpful and sure. guided meditation, and, um, and you know, always kind of returning to some sort of like paganistic sort of. Uh, kind of I don't I don't know if it's more like an esoteric way of like personalizing a natural force with like Gaia or something right so I'm really interested in all kinds of spirituality um and definitely not like any sort of monotheistic or you know it's however anybody wants to talk about it is just great for me right. I think if it can bring out some sort of like you know uh better version of your whatever space you occupy what was it that um brought you around to uh like meditation and mindfulness yeah well and a lot of that you know with all of these kind of teetering uh experiences i often found myself in groups you know influenced by peers and um and so a lot of that is also you know like substance use and experimentation um and and yeah like just a lot of intoxication and um and i struggled in a lot of different ways in my 20s um early 20s just in i mean in every aspect and um and so i think a lot of it was just sort of out of desperation like i didn't know what to do and so i'd experiment with like oh i'm i'm not drinking alcohol anymore or like i'm not doing this sort of behavior and as like kind of a supplementary replacement or something it was like a way to kind of take the edge off, like when I'm at work or something, you know, it was a distraction. I'd listen to podcasts or, you know, right. I'd, 
um, I'd, I'd learn about Buddhism that way more than, and meditation that way before I ever like tried to have a practice. Um, and then when did I actually start med? Cause I did meditate twice or, you know, sometimes three or four times a day for like five years. Um, and, and that was really useful to a point. Um, but yeah, it really wasn't based in religion. It was, um, it was like a very, it wasn't transcendental meditation, but it was like a very just kind of like basic breathing exercise. Right. Just a, a, a way to manage what seems like a very active brain in a way that isn't, you know, drugs and alcohol. Um, cause that's another right. way of doing it. Are you, are you sober now? Um, no. Well, I'm Cali sober. Cali sober. Say. Okay. Yeah. Cali good sober. enough. <laughs> yeah. I smoke weed. Um, sure. but I definitely, I don't drink. I, and, and I'm not, um, as I kind of mentioned in the packet, I'm, I'm not involved in any programs, which I think are great, but, um, but yeah, I am like a zero, totally abstain, no alcohol whatsoever kind of person. What was it that prompted that? That was a deep depression, hmm. um, which, um, I'm totally comfortable talking sure. about, but, um, it was, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it you know, was figuring out what I was doing for a job and whether or not I wanted to have a professional career and kind of like battling some other people's expectations of me, you know, like family members and what have you, whether that's real or just in my own consciousness. Um, and I ended up in Nepal, you know, I, um, I was extremely, extremely depressed. I wasn't eating enough. I was like just chain smoking cigarettes and smoking pot and watching shitty TV every night Mm -hmm. and uh, somehow like randomly applied for this um, UN women uh, transformative leadership for gender equality training in Kathmandu. Um, Not really, you know, it was like a desperate thing at work. I remember one day I just was at, I didn't know what to do. I was meditating on my lunch breaks. I was just trying to do anything and everything I could to just be okay. Um, And around that time I'd stopped drinking just because I was totally not socializing or being healthy. Um, so I wasn't, you know, doing anything, uh, in that way. And I had a really strict work schedule. So I was, you know, just really focused on my job and they, um, you and women contacted me and they gave me a scholarship and the group, you know, people I was working for didn't, um, didn't necessarily support me financially, but they gave me permission to go. And, um, and yeah, I came back from that. It was sort of like when I was in Kathmandu, I was there right before the new year. And um, I when was smoking. this? What what year? I think this was 2017, okay. 2016, maybe. Yeah, um, it was right in between there. So it was the cusp of those years. And, uh, and yeah, I came back and I didn't tell anybody for a while because I just wanted to try it. And I thought if I told people, I would screw up. But uh mm-hmm. But yeah, so, you know, I, I just stopped drinking for several months and, um, and I stopped, you know, and that actually at that time I stopped smoking pot. I was totally sober for a year. Right. Um, was that hard to do or did you find it just like, kind of like, oh, I needed to let go of this? Well, I had to stop everything in order to, um, break whatever emotional attachment I had to cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Um, that was like a really hard thing to do. And uh, harder than all the other stuff. And, um, 
and yeah, it was just, it was also just so disorienting, you know, my entire adult life, I had connected with other people through these means yeah. of like, you know, uh, it is sort of social accessibility. It's like finding ways to numb. I mean, whatever it is, that's like otherwise inhibiting you from being able to do it. So, so yeah, I think it was like very alienating all around that, like the whole, that year was just like, it's hard to really say if it, you know, like which part, because like the whole thing, it's like, not that the whole thing crashed. It just, it was sort of like, there was uh, almost like a net left over of my life. Um, yeah. Mm. Um, kind can, of build off of. Can you yeah. say more about the, the depression that led into it? Um, was that like your first episode? Have you uh, been back there? Was it, is it something that kind of comes back intermittently or is it, uh, was, was that sort of like the, the worst of it there? Well, I mean, I've struggled with depression my whole life. Um, so I wouldn't say that's the worst of it. I, you know, I think I haven't really been able to understand exactly like what all of it, um, how it all like interconnects. But, you know, my, like my mom started trying to take me to therapy when I was seven. Um, and I, you know, I tried to, deal with things in a different, you know, I, I like was always kind of struggling with different emotional issues that I didn't have any outlet for. Um, and I didn't have anybody to talk to about, you know, it was not something that like there was a way to speak of. So, um, so yeah, I think it, it wasn't the worst of it. Um, I think there was, there was probably a time at MCAD that was maybe mm -hmm. the worst before that. And then there's been, you know, there's been one or two times since then. Um, but that was definitely a turning point. You know, I actually, I recall there being a conversation that I had where I, um, yeah, I decided that it, it was kind of like I, I can't do anything to affect my mood tomorrow or I'm going to die. Yeah, there was, right. you know, there have been some of those kinds of points where for me, at least with the um, drug and alcohol and whatever, that was. Like when that that happened, like it was it was like that. So there's a like kind of day and night thing. Yeah, I mean, college, uh, early twenties is when, uh, in my anecdotal experience, when mental illness really rears its head. That's when a lot of mental illnesses really uh, uh, fully develop in people. Um, especially things like depression, anxiety, even like more extreme, like schizophrenia and stuff like picks up in, around that age. And it's, yeah. um, it's not only like it hits you there and it's the sort of the first time, but you're also, you're so unequipped. You you just don't have any of the, the tools, the coping strategies, the, um, you know, any of the mechanisms that you learn how to, deal with it uh at that time so like you're just you're just out there with like nothing no weapons whatsoever and it's it's fucking rough totally yeah yeah i mean in a lot of those ways you know i felt guilty about uh smoking pot for so many years and in hindsight i'm like it was such a saving grace like for, in whatever ways you know like i didn't for my mental health in college yeah. i guess yeah yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a uh, it's a delicate balance when we talk about self medication because um, obviously it becomes an issue and it shouldn't be treated as like a cure all. 
Um, and at some point with self-medication, almost always something has to give, you know, at some point it's going to, you know, the classic saying, like it works until it doesn't, you know, and, but I think not enough, there's not enough regard for, uh, when it, does work and there is this euphoric feeling when you're like oh actually this substance does solve all of my problems <laughs> and actually yeah. it does make me feel like completely better and uh, uh it, and it it works in a way that all this other shit just hasn't and um helps level me out and you know that's why people do it and that's why people go full head-on into it and, you know, I, I don't know, like I, I'm not a sober person, um, but I have also at times, and I would say, especially around college age, uh, can definitely mark periods of my life where I did not have a healthy relationship with, uh, various substances, mostly alcohol. I would say I would like drink to excess and brings out would bring out bad parts of my personality and, you know, just, just festering self-hatred and all of this shit. Um, but it's, it's really up to, I think, a like a person to person basis, like whether or not it's a, uh, like an actual addiction that needs to be abated or whether it's just like something else is going on in your life. That's causing too much, you know, drinking, causing you to drink to excess, causing you to whatever to excess. Well, it's like any behavior. I think it's, uh, are you familiar with Gabor Mate? Gabor Mate, no. So Dr. Gabor Mate, um, Canadian and a physician that worked with meth addicts in Vancouver, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has like a really compassionate view of addiction and talks about how he's, he has an addiction and he breaks it down, like where he thinks it's rooted, et cetera in um buying classical cds this is when he like wrote this book called um in the realm of hungry ghosts um that kind of like just it it goes into way too i mean my taste way too much description about um addicts but but i guess to say that like you know eating drinking water like anything can become an addiction if it's used in the way to replace you know like if you're using it to replace an addiction sometimes it just has that compulsion. Like it can be like love addiction. It can be, you know, like obsessed with all kinds of things. So um, I think it's like, obviously something that's like as dangerous as like uh, intoxicating substances, you know, that's like a little bit different, but I think also to like, just for the um, self-compassionate aspect of it, like sort of like you're reflecting, like there are times when you've abused it, but it doesn't mean you're always abusing alcohol. Um, yeah, it can be a hard, I don't know, because there's on top of it, there's like, uh, I think there's, there's a guilt or a stigma around addiction and alcoholism, things like that. It's seen as like a moral failure uh, in, in large swaths of society, I would say, particularly among <clears throat> Midwestern waspy societies, you know, um, yeah. so there were these periods in my life where I would think like, I would almost have like a, 
I don't know how to say it, like addiction hypochondria or something where I was just constantly mm-hmm. paranoid that like I was like going to turn into some just like, like, like hopeless, like freeze to death on a park bench kind of addict or something. And I was just like, no, nah, I don't think it's that bad, but yeah. maybe I should assess why I'm, you know, like maybe just don't drink Carlo Rossi at all in general. Um, <laughs> but also like maybe think about why you're doing that and why you're drinking it so much this time is it because you're sad is it because you're lonely is it because you you're, you're freaked out about the world like maybe yeah. let's address some of that stuff first you know like let's talk about body image let's talk about you know relationships and and self-worth and things like that um before we you know like go uh and, and buy another jug of that fucking poison you know <laughs> yeah yeah um so you have had uh other kind of uh i don't know uh, addictions or compulsions towards like lick with eating disorders um and things like that yeah. um can you talk a little bit about that too because i mean that's a much harder one to discern because again you have to eat you know and right. so it's 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 not the same thing as quitting a, a substance that's something external and not necessary well and it's also like the compulsive thoughts about something you're not doing, you know, which is similar to like addiction in terms of like avoiding something, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, yeah, I, uh, well, I mean, again, like a lot of my problems come back to, um, you know, a really hard time with my mother growing up and she never resolved her own eating disorder stuff. Um, so that's sort of how it started. Like she just wasn't eating when I was little and, um, and, you know, she was, like, obsessively concerned with my sisters and my weight. And I'm just, like, naturally thin and athletic. Um, so, yeah, I ended up dating somebody who was uh, involved in competitive wrestling and obsessed about their weight, you know. Right. And I kind of caught on and um, and just got really, really into, you know, like, BMI and... And it's, I, you know, I think there's still some stuff to figure out there probably forever, but, um, and it is, it's something forever I watch out for. Um, but yeah, I, I struggled, you know, I, I think I struggled first with anorexia and, uh, and then it got me some attention, which is probably what I was subconsciously doing. And then, um, and then I started hiding, uh, I hid the eating disorder and bulimia. I started you know, hiding, eating. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it got really scary. Um, I didn't look that bad because I was keeping it together. Right. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I was having like intense heart palpitations as like a 17 year old, you know, and I was in extremely good shape. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was scary. I didn't, I didn't see it as an eating disorder. I thought I was an alien. I thought I was different. You know, I really, I really, that's how crazy it gets. It's like I, I thought I saw things differently. I thought right. I didn't need food. I'm the just way built different. Yeah, it's like I'm just not supposed to have food. Right. Like, <laughs> um, and like, I don't know, it's probably also a lack of nutrients, but like, you kind of believe, like, I remember my friends being like, you know, you know, like trying to encourage me in ways not like directly telling me I was in trouble, but like, I just didn't see it. Um, yeah, it's so multi-layered. The um, I mean, obviously, I have to express the caveat that there are 
body image issues among men and male identifying people as well. Um, men can have eating disorders and all kind of body dysmorphia. I know I have like body dysmorphia that I fight with all the time. Um, but the way that it's the layers of it pushed from like a macro society level onto women, um, that is just so intense. Like the, I mean, just even like the idea, like there, I don't know how to say it, but like, it just feels like subconsciously you are told, we are told as people that eating is not feminine. Like it's like girls don't like stuff their faces. Like it's seen as something that's kind of like not supposed to like, you know, like boys and men are, are encouraged to be like real, like hungry and ravenous and barbecue and all of that stuff. But like women with food, it's always just been this, I mean, like with our boomer ass parents, it's like women with like weight watchers and salads and like oh, sugar yeah. replacements and low calorie packs and shit like that. That's all marketed towards women. Um, but in your oh, own like moral piety, like my, like, you know, growing up, even now, I think, you know, I no longer speak to my mother, but like it was impressed growing up that like it was always, oh, I'll just have a, I'll just have the salad. I'll just have the soup. You know, it was like, right. I'll just, you know, I don't want to take up too much space. I don't want to. Right. You know, like, I'll just have the leftovers. Like, I don't need much. Right. <laughs> the, 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 the delicate thing, the fucking, the dainty mm -hmm. act, I think is like really a thing. Um, and, um, it, in your household, was this something that was more just like modeled towards you or was it something that was more expressly like, you know, you, Jocelyn, need to lose weight? I am like, or like, are you sure you want to eat all of that? Or was it something that was more like, I'm observing the way my mom acts as a woman and she doesn't ever want to eat anything and only eats like, mm. you know, like salad and crackers or whatever. Um, and so that's yeah. in my head how I'm supposed to be. I think it was more directed. It was definitely directed. Um, and I will, I will say that like through, you know, whatever these kinds of tumultuous experiences, like my dad and stepmom were very stable. So I was mostly with my mother, but, um, but my dad and my stepmom were in another town and I saw them once a week. Um, and we always ate dinner together. And, you know, I think they were concerned from a parental level. And I think from my mom, I don't really, it was kind of competitive. It was a little weird, um, but it was pointed. It was, they were, it wasn't just her. It was specific to which daughter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's, I mean, and again, like for the listener, you were, you are quite thin. You're and you always have been. And like, I think you're just genetically yeah. a fairly, you know, a, a thin person. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy that, body image is pushed so hard onto somebody who's already fucking skinny, <laughs> you know, and like they're yeah. already like the, the ideal quote unquote, uh, body type that, uh, you know, like it, it even happens there. It's, I don't know. It's all, I mean, nuts. well, I will say for me, which this is like a different layer that I'm still figuring out. Um, it was about being feminine, mm -hmm. you know, it was, I think it was less about like whatever my dynamic was so much about uh, thinness. I mean, that was, it was easier for me than my sisters, but, um, but it was, you know, I was concerned with looking girly. I was concerned with uh, 
putting on makeup and, you know, like wearing my clothes a certain way. And, um, and that was, you know, I mean, I think that, yeah, it was so, it's, it is confusing probably for a boy or a girl or however you, you know, kids these days are trying to navigate that. It just must be crazy. Um, and, and right, like with the influence of like Instagram and all these images, you know, it's like, yeah. I think for, for somebody that looks like naturally more like me, you know, at that time in the late nineties and early aughts or whatever, it's like, yeah, well, that was more of what you were inundated with. It's like, it's, um, I don't know. It seems like media is a little more invasive. <laughs> I mean, a lot more like AI yeah. knows what I like better than I do. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine yeah. if you're like 15, that has a different impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like we've seen there's, it's a double edged sword with, with media and representation of bodies because we're, we're seeing a lot more, uh, you know, curvy, uh, like di- just different body types in general. We're seeing representation for non-binary people. We're seeing, you know, just like, you know, thicker, thicker people who are also hot, you know, we got like Megan the stallion and fucking, uh, 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 Ashley Graham out there, you know, but like also that's another, on one hand, you can look at that and say like, Oh, that's great. That's progressive because that's, you know, like now, like, like curvy girls with big, uh, thighs and big asses and stuff like they they finally are having their day, but also that's just another fucking idealized body that not everybody can have. You either genetically have that big ass or you don't, you know? And, and so like, is it really like healthy for a fucking 15 year old girl to be scrolling through her explore tab? And like, there's all these body types that she's not going to live up to. I don't, I don't really know if that's better, (laughs) honestly. I mean, yeah, I guess I think I was thinking about this earlier, like in terms of, ability to like use algorithms and um 20 you know like somebody that's 20 now how they maybe can just like naturally gravitate towards say like functionings of like instagram or something to to create a career or something um but i i guess i have some hope for the internet because i do you know like the pioneers of the internet i think of the people that started like who whose vision created this network that we're all connected with um and there is like such purity and truth in that that like I don't think that like we're gonna be exploited. Like there isn't just exploitation in technology. Like there has to be a way to like utilize some of these forms of uh advancing te- you know, in intelligence, I guess, um to foster that development in a positive way. You are quite feminine yeah. and but you identify as uh non binary, they them, yeah. right? Um, and yeah. you were saying earlier that like your eating disorder was tied to feeling of like almost a performative femininity. Um, so yeah. can you talk a little bit more about your relationship with, with gender and femininity and finally feeling, you know, hopefully feeling more comfortable with just being like, I like this part of being feminine and girly, but I don't need to do the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I think growing up, I loved nail polish, um, makeup, you know, it's just like, it's so exciting hair. You know, I've been cutting hair since I was 14. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like how you dress yourself is so 
cool. It's just whatever you want to do any day of the week. It could be, you know. So anyway, I guess to me, it's like gender is like another layer of that expression. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I, of course, growing up, it, it's associated with femininity, you know, to have these kinds of like ways of expressing your place or your excitement or enthusiasm for life. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the need to fit in sort of co-opted some of that agency. And that's when I, you know, I started shaving my legs when I was eight. Um, I wore make, like more makeup on a daily basis as of 12. Um, you know, I, so there were different things I did before I was developed as a woman, um, to try and appeal to men before I was comfortable with that. Um, and I remember what that felt like. Um, and I didn't like it. And, um, so yeah, I think there's, there's some part of me that used it as a defense, you know, it's, um, that kind of war paint thing. And another part of me used it as expression. And, um, and so sometimes, you know, um, I think growing up, I would use it. I mean, mostly it's, it's been about survival. So I would use it to deal with whatever I needed to. Um, and like in a manipulative way, sure. If I needed to, if I needed to, um, and that led into, you know, I, for work, I was primarily working with men. Most of my uh, professional life, I have often been in like all male, um, right. cis male art environments. Hand, art handling and is a pretty is a pretty man heavy profession generally. It's not just art handling. I mean, I I was specifically in like multimedia, audiovisual, right. technical work, and um, and they're really it's not encouraged. Like I was I was berated. I I was hazed. Um, so I would dress very androgynously. Um, and intentionally play down everything. Um, for years, I did that. And, and then there was, you know, so then there was like backlash. And that was throughout my 20s, I kind of went back and forth. And it wasn't really conscious. It was, it was really like a feeling like I feel really uncomfortable today. I'm gonna wear a big shirt, right. kind of a thing. Um, and, and so, so yeah, I think there have been points when I felt like, ashamed of like looking too girly around you know, other like femmes that I want to respect me that are also like maybe non-binary and don't appear the same way. Um, but it's also like, it's been well-earned um, that like what I've chosen to keep is is like really just for me. Um, and it does feel like that. It's like, I, I've thrown off as much as I could. You know, I try to throw off the armor every, I try to be as vulnerable as a human as I can be. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's complicated, I think. And, you know, I imagine if you're somebody who feels and is, you know, assigned male at birth and you feel really masculine and you like to dress more effeminately, I, I imagine that's complicated as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it probably is. I mean, I, I was just talking about this with my last guest, um, Kennedy Cooper, they're a uh, non-binary um, and, we were talking about, you know, just masculinity and the performance thereof and the, uh, the feeling of even stepping just slightly outside of the parameters of, um, performative masculinity can feel extremely, uh, dangerous. And I think that they're much more, uh, brave than I ever was to be, you know, to, to, dress 
uh, you know, sort of in the middle, like guy girl neutral, um, slightly more feminine leaning, um, with you know like painted nails, makeup, you know things like that, but um, but not a woman, not trans, you know, like um, and that how uh, viscerally angry that makes some people in society because they just, I don't know, they're fucking ignorant and scared. Um, and my own experience with growing up, you know, I, I think I've become more masculine as I've gotten older um, or I've just found ways, you know, much like you, where I'm just like not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm like, I actually do like these aspects of masculinity and presenting masculine. Uh, but it's just that masculinity, classic masculinity, as it was put to me when I was younger and developing was just so like repugnant and gross. And just like, I, I hate all of this. Like, I, I don't like sports culture. I don't like macho culture. I don't like any of this. I don't identify with this. You know, I wanted to look like Kurt Cobain. I wanted to look like Robert Smith, you know, but like anytime I would, um, anytime I would even like kind of present that way, like I instantly felt just viscerally, just the, the waves of, uh, hate coming off of people, hmm. you know, like I could feel the eyes on me in, in a room hmm. and like, like case in point, like this was actually fairly recently and it was, it was just so, it's such a surreal experience that like I go back to it and kind of think like, what did that really happen? Or like, was I just like imagining things? But like in, this was, it must've been like 2016. Um, I dressed up like Prince for, for Halloween. Um, cause he had just died and I'm a big fan. And, uh, you know, so I did, I, I did like the, the purple rain Prince and don't worry oh, folks. Okay. I didn't do any blackface. I was a white presenting, you know, bleach blonde, prince but it was understood that that's who i was supposed to be and i was wearing makeup i was wearing the heels and all of that stuff and i was at this party um at littlefield and uh i was also i will admit on some drugs i was i was i was on uh molly and so i was just like just feeling great and in a good mood and somebody came up to me they were wearing a mask and they just started shoving me and i thought first like oh this is one of my friends like just like uh, saying hi to me like this is like one of my one of my boys saying like what's up and so i shoved back and then like tried to take their mask off like to see who it was and they were like not letting me and then i finally got it off and it was like this person i didn't know and uh, they kind of kept like getting in my face for like the rest of the night and i had to just kind of kind of keep just like i'm too like in jolly awful. and full of serotonin to fight you right now so i just sort of like slunk away from them and then, like, later was just, like, were they trying to fucking fight me? Was I getting, like, gay bash for wow. dressing in a costume? Obviously, this is not how I dress normally. Like, we are at a costume party. It's a Halloween right. party. I'm dressed like, like, you understand that this is not You're me, in, like, really. Yeah, yeah, it's not, like, me. And, but, like, they still were, like, acting really fucking hostile towards me. And I was just, like, that's really weird. And... But that's the kind of shit that people face every fucking day. You know, like I was fully in costume. I was like, I do not dress like that on a daily basis. Like, it is not who I am. But if it is who you are and you have to just like go out there with that and yeah. like you're in a like six foot tall male body, but you want to wear 
eye eyeliner and eyeshadow heels. and, and yeah. heels and shit. Like, but you got like hairy arms and a beard, like fucking good luck. <laughs> like it's yeah. crazy. Like, I don't know how people do it. I really don't. Well, it's certainly not going to get any easier if people aren't allowed to use words like gay in sex ed, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, I mean, and yeah, like all of that, I, I feel like just more awareness, you know, like I, for all, yeah, like in terms of like activism, you know, like all of the um, leaps and bounds that have been made on the backs of trans people, you know, it's, uh, yeah, like what's happening in the country right now. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully these measures bring more awareness and people, you know, I don't think, I guess I don't, I don't know. I like to think that things won't go, they don't go back. Yeah. Know? Like, I well, don't think in the, terms of that historically. What's happening, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, what's happening with, like, the Don't Say Gay Bill and, like, with the, yeah. like, the, the anti-trans stuff happening in Texas is, is horrifying, but it is also, I've watched this happen like I've been a you know not to brag or not to like toot my own horn but I feel like I've been a pretty good ally to the LGBTQ community since I was in high school and I remember having these sorts of fights and debates then as a kid um and seeing that I don't know that we have come a long way so far as uh, representation and all of that stuff. But also when people say things like, well, why do we even need to have gay pride anymore? Like, you know, we had, like gay presidential candidates and like Pete Buttigieg. So like homophobia doesn't exist anymore. Right. And it's like, no, motherfucker, we need to keep like pushing this because the backlash is going to be so extreme and is going to be so fucking cruel and vicious like going after kids and their families you know um that it's it's just a fight that's gonna have to keep being fought but the good news is there are people fighting it like there was that video i saw of like the uh i think everybody's seen this like the it was like the kids in the florida school who were just like they all went out into the hallway and they just started chanting gay 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 you know and like mm -hmm. or like we say gay or something like that um and I was like, it just that really as uh, jaded and like black pilled as I've gotten about the state of the world. Like that was like really moving to me because I was just like, OK, good. Like there are kids who are still picking up the mantle and standing up for each other. And I think that that's fucking beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like I said, I wasn't going to get into it too much, but I um, I am going to go back to school and uh and part of the reason i want to go to grad school is because i uh i really believe in what these kids are doing yeah <laughs> you know it's like it sounds silly but i and not that i like feel like i'm going to be some special teacher or something but you know it's like i just want to make sure that i don't know I, maybe it maybe it's silly to put it that way but uh but yeah i really have hope and uh i believe in kids these days <laughs> I mean, I don't know what your life goals are, but I don't want to have kids. And no. I, uh, I find that like, um, and I have no judgment of people that do, nor, you know, this isn't a blanket statement of any kind, but I feel like I have um, continued to like really invest in my own self growth or whatever. So uh, I want to give that back. You know, it's like, I, I don't necessarily want to have my own child, but yeah. like I, 
I feel like I've worked hard to like be a better person. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I mean, I, help I think people read yeah. like I'm I don't really want to have kids either. Um, I just don't think that I would be a good parent to a human. Um, for a myriad for a myriad of reasons and yeah Yeah. and but like also i think that that gets read as like that means you dislike kids and i really don't i do like kids i like i like being around them and i like um i like i don't know just just the idea that life moves on without you and you're you know, your failures and your shortcomings aren't the end all be all of the universe. And that like other people are going to go out there and and do stuff and have those experiences as well. And, you know, it just gets you out of your own fucking self-involved, like, oh man, like I didn't get to do what I wanted with my stupid life. And just like, who gives a shit? You know, like when you are around them, like, like, but like, yeah, but like also the, the thing I like most about being around kids is when they go home. And like, I don't have to deal with them anymore and they're not my problem. You know, like that's, that's the best part for me. So like, why don't I just keep on that? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they're so interesting and I, you know, I think it's cool to be able to like get in touch with that part of yourself that is still a kid. And like, if they're your own, say grandkids, you might have more of a bond. Um, But I think it's like, there are so many opportunities to learn from anybody and everybody around you and like it's a rare I feel like it's a rare thing to be able to like gift knowledge and impart to somebody that could actually use it you know like people tell you things you don't need all the time but like yeah if you could like actually be like no you know I did that and not that people need advice or to hear your lessons but I think it's like you know there are so many I don't, I don't know which way to go with this analogy, but you know, there, yeah. there are just so many opportunities every day to like influence people around you. If it doesn't have to be about like child rearing and about like developing a person that's suitable to work in society and it's just making the world a better place. Like, I mean, that can be a way to look at it. Yeah. Do you, do you remember what it was like to be young, to be, I don't know, anywhere from like 10 to 20 years old and, <laughs> and talk to a grown up and like, occasionally you would run across people who just like impart some sort of mind blowing wisdom or knowledge upon you. And like the, the way I remember, uh, adults then who like seemed to be aware of something or like seemed to have something that I wanted, uh, and the way that it would change my life and move me both just like emotionally and mentally, like, uh, is just was just like such a huge monumental feeling that like I do want to give that back to other generations because that was like the coolest feeling ever. You know, you're just this like dumb, oh, yeah. confused kid, and then like you meet someone who's just like, oh, they're like actually an artist, and they actually live in New York, and they actually have done all this stuff, and like it's just the most fucking exciting thing ever. And the older you get and the more you actually do that stuff, the more you just kind of, uh, in my experience, just kind of fall out of love with all of that stuff. And you're just like, eh, but you don't need to tell them that part. They'll figure that out. They'll, right. they'll learn to be just as uh, corrupt and, and jaded as we are, I guess. I don't know. I mean, like, I still remember just as an anecdote for this exact point, uh, when I was in, in, you know, I don't know, junior in high school, 16, whatever, 
there was a teaching assistant who must have been 21 or something who like was a teaching assistant for a semester for the art teacher. And I was getting ready to go to purchase um, upstate Cooney to like check out their art school. And that woman, the TA brought me like her old, it was an eight by 10 portfolio. It wasn't even like a super nice portfolio, but it was an art portfolio. And she was like, here's this put your work in it and take it with you. You know, she like gave me this, it wasn't old, but she gave me a portfolio. Um, And I had that up until, you know, like six years ago, but it was like, I was 16 or whatever. I didn't know you needed an art portfolio to to like go (laughs) interview for art school. Of course you did. I just, you know, it was like, nobody told me. Um, And anyway, it was like a huge influence. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the the influence that, that, you know, like young sort of sensitive kids, like, the the influence that i don't know usually like art and theater and english teachers have with like those those like little you know just just nervous sensitive fucked up kids is just incredible you like they pull them back from the brink of death they pull them like out of just feeling like they completely do not belong in the world so like yeah it's just it's it's huge and i do want to uh, I don't know, give that back in some way, but I just haven't, I also am not a trained educator. I also like, that is not the path that I have chosen. Uh, but in some way I would, yeah, I, I would, I would like to I'll teach a, teach a podcasting class to kids or some shit like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you're, uh, you're no contact with, with your mom. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what, what, precipitated that and uh, what that's been like because that's fucking hard to do that's a hard decision to make and I think that that's a thing that a lot of people who maybe should uh just never do because it's not even looked at as a possibility because you don't you know you don't do that quote unquote yeah I mean yeah it's not cool to dump your mom um my mom doesn't like it that's for sure um yeah I mean I think you know, all of what I've previously said in mind, you know, I really had a great therapist around the age of 27. And, uh, and I worked with her weekly, sometimes two times a week for five years. Um, and this was, you know, like, at the end of that, the tail end of all of that therapy is when I stopped drinking. So all these things kind of work together. Like, uh, you know, I've, I'm blessed to have had such a good therapist. Um, and, and so it was clear to her early on, and uh, and then it became really clear to me that my mom's, you know, mentally ill and um, probably probably has narcissistic personality disorder, mm. um, and you know was just really really um, abusive and um, you know I was borderline torture sometimes towards me um, growing up and and I didn't really know I guess the full uh, impact of that until the pandemic. So, um, so yeah, I'd struggled in a lot of ways and done a lot of different kinds of things to sort of deal with some really heavy feelings. Um, and, and it was at the end of 2020, I was dog sitting. I had a really awesome dog sitting gig in Mexico city. Um, and I was dog sitting by myself, um, over new year's, and 
and it was, you know, it was leading up to this. I'd had some really traumatic uh, things in relationships. And, um, and yeah, it was, I guess it was just time. Um, it was, I mean, it's hard because there wasn't a blowout. I had like a great conversation as far as like resolved emotions with my mom. And, um, and then I just decided to let her go. And so it's been, you know, a little over a year. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, I will say that like, it wasn't like I just decided I'm never going to talk to you again. You know, I'd done different uh, lengths of time of having a break or like not allowing contact um, and just having like really, really, really serious boundaries and working that way. Um, but it be, it became clear. And I guess because things were so intense at a couple different points in the, in the beginning stages of like lockdown that uh, I just recognized that, we can't both be here. So, so yeah, you know, it's, um, it's really, it's hard for me. Like, I still feel like I want to explain to her why I can't talk to her. And I feel like guilty about not doing that for her. But, um, but I also like, am you know, uh, yeah, I think I have enough respect for what I've gone through. There has to be the acknowledgement that, if you could explain this to her, you would have been able to do that by now. But like, there is, there is something yeah. that is not getting absorbed. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, again, I like go back to my sisters. I'm, um, you know, I'm so grateful that I had these other people, these other human minds around. Yeah. You still, um, you still talk to them. You're cool with them and, and hang out with them and stuff. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's been a little bit tricky because I think, she's been harder for them than for me, you know, over the last year. But, um, but yeah, I mean the rest of her family, I'm not really in contact with, but I'm still in touch with my sisters. Yeah. They, and they, it seems like they support you in, in this decision and everything. So that's gotta be, totally. that's gotta be helpful. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, everybody I feel like has some, if you're still involved in your biological family, there's gotta be, you know, something that, uh, isn't, you know, I, I mean, like, what does Ram Dass say? Like, uh, the minute you think that you've like reached enlightenment and like you're right, you know, floating off your pillow or whatever, just go spend a week with your family or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Like, yeah. like, yeah, I think I've, I think I'm like uninvolved and like a totally great, wonderful person. And then, you know, I, my, the old me can pop out real quick. So yeah, well, that's the other side of that relationship. Is it also, uh, how do I put this? It not only is oftentimes like you know the the parent who's getting cut off like is their behavior bad? It it brings out something in the child that they don't want to be anymore you know like it it goes both ways and it's just like i don't want you to keep making me be this person act like this person you know um and you know narcissistic personality disorder is so fucking hard because it's the one thing i mean other than just like straight up like psychopathy you know just sociopathy that is like basically untreatable because the nature of the illness is nothing's wrong with you. Everybody else, like you're the victim and other people have the problem. And so to 
like you you can't pop that bubble without having just like a complete fucking mental breakdown like cuz it's you built up your entire perception of the universe around you around that idea um and so even like hard to treat illnesses like like borderline personality disorder which often goes hand in hand with with mm-hmm. narcissistic personality disorder um those are vastly more treatable because eventually a person with BPD will like, you know, burn enough bridges and cause enough pain and torpedo enough relationships that they're like, Hmm, maybe I'm the problem here. And like, and then like there is, you know, like DBT can be very effective um, because it was developed by somebody with BPD um, borderline personality disorder, dialectical behavioral therapy. I feel like I should distill the, uh, 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 acronyms for the, for the layman. Um, but you know, like I'm in, I don't have BPD myself, but my ADHD does overlap a lot of the traits with emotional dysregulation and, um, you know, compulsivity, impulsivity, hypersexuality, like weird, like flare ups of anger and feelings of self, like, you know, uh, worthlessness and all this stuff that that's very present in BPD people and self harm and things like that. Uh, but I, I don't have like actual BPD period, you know, but, um, so I'm working through DBT currently and everybody else in my group, they all have it and they're working on it and they are genuinely interested in improving themselves but the thing that's different there is that they understand that they have an issue and that's not something that is ever going to happen for, for narcissists. It's, it's just, yeah, it's unbeatable. Yeah. It's, it's really heartbreaking. Cause I think I, yeah, I would like love to have some sort of like really shallow, boring relationship from here on with my mother where it's like just basic, like, this is the weather. This is your dog. This is my dog. Normal, anything simple. Yeah. But like, even, you know, with leaving things as like positive as I could, like the few times, you know, she sent me a letter last week that there was a PS that was like, there are two sides to every story. I'm just like, I don't know what that means. You know, like it's, um, yeah, it's, she'll always be the victim. You know, even if we're talking about like a four year old memory or something like it's, So I don't, I mean, I stopped trying to like reason with her brain, like literally it's not like her, her weird, you know, ego. It's, it's like not possible. Um, So yeah, it's really like, I do have sympathy and compassion, but the most I can have is through like a very, you know, it's without, it's like a a totally detached. It is uh, a, I mean, it's counterintuitive, but. I feel like when people do go no contact, that is an act of compassion because you are choosing to no longer have an extremely destructive relationship with this person. It's not doing either person any fucking favors, you know, like, so it's, it's hard, but I I mean, like, obviously like this is not the kind of fucking decision that somebody makes on a whim, you know, it's just not. And and I, I think people need to understand that. And like, I'm saying that as somebody with like, 
just uh, almost cartoonishly wholesome fucking family. Like they're still together. They're just like adorable retirees Aww. and they like hold hands and they're so encouraging and sweet. And like my family is actually Aww. like my immediate family is just like so pure and good. Um, and I, the more people I talk to and the more people I see interact with their own family, the more I realize like, Oh, that's I'm the anomaly. That's not yeah. like normal. Like it's 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 extremely rare that this is your scenario. So like you know, like it, I I I can only really imagine. You know. Well, you have to teach one of these classes now if you have this like little wholesome nugget in you, Brad. Oh yeah, I just have like just the <laughs> cutest fucking family. Like I, dude, my mom was on the news a couple of years ago. She was on the local news because she makes little button bouquets. She makes little, she, her retirement project, she like takes a wire and like puts it through these, like she buys all these little colorful buttons and makes these little bouquets and sticks them in like That's a little amazing. tiny pot. And you have one? Like, yeah, we got one. We got a couple. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, it's just, it's just, Oh wait, best. but she was on TV. Sorry. Yeah. She, no, she, she was, was on, on just like the a local news segment just for, for being, you know, like extremely cute and wholesome. Like that's, they're just like, look, get a that. load of this lady, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. okay. um so Aww. we should wrap up soon, but I want to, uh, talk about just one more thing. Like, uh, so far as, um, you've obviously done a lot of work and, uh, what, have been some of your favorite, uh, I don't know, like the best tools you've picked up. I mean, we talked a little bit about mindfulness and meditation. Um, you did mention, uh, in the pre-interview, you mentioned about HALT, the, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired acronym, yep. uh, to run a check through. Are there any other, um, sort of, uh, uh, nuggets of wisdom or helpful tools that you think the listeners might, uh, you know, Google? I mean, halt is really shockingly helpful. Halt um, is crazy. I heard, yeah. I heard that on a podcast. Like, I heard it once, and it stuck in my head. It was mm -hmm. like, I heard it once randomly in some co random context, and it's like forever. I'm like, halt. What's going on? You know, when, right. when I'm like, oh, I feel crappy. What is it? Um, that's a really helpful one. Um, but what else? I mean, it's it's basic. Drink water. Go to sleep. Eat. Yeah. You know, it's... Um, to me, I don't know, I guess, like, because of my, like, eating disorder stuff, it's oftentimes the physiological stuff that, like, I don't notice, but it's, like, some of the first cues of, like, you're lightheaded, you need to eat something, or right. you need to drink water. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's, like, the only other thing I would say, maybe, is, like, trust your gut, you know? Like, I, I think it took me a long time to, because of so much self-doubt from my mom's narcissism to really trust myself. And, um, and I think I've come to like trust myself more than I trust anything else. I trust my gut instincts. And, and it, like, when I say gut instincts, it can be in anywhere in your body. Um, but I just mean that, like, you know, that knowing of like, if you're, if there is any uncertainty, I think it, it's sort of like that dating, like there's like some sort of dating way to say with dating, like, you know, they're interested, like, if you're questioning whether or not they're interested, they're not interested. Yeah. That kind of like, if you're, if you're uncertain about something, you don't, you know, you're not certain. So yeah. I would say like to the same degree with all choices every day, all day long, if it's not right, know it, 
don't do it you know like on like a minute level it's uh that that has been like the most helpful through all these various things is like figuring out how to listen to your body and just like actually really trust it like 100%. Jocelyn Chase, thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> this was perfect. What a beautiful note to end on. No, I do have something really important. Uh -huh. um, dogs. Dogs. I think if you can't afford therapy, dogs. Find a dog to hug that wants you to hug it. Fucking A. Essentially. Yeah. Animals. Dogs. Wonder drugs. Like, dogs. That's yeah, it. you you have a dog, right? What What's its name? I do. This, uh, so I'm going to, sorry, Mona. I'm going to pick her up really quick. This is Mona Lisa. Oh. Mona's been, she was just sleeping. She's, yeah, she's a, she's little, a chihuahua. Uh, black and tan um, chihuahua. She's very cute. Yeah, she, she's really, I, I would say, yeah, like listen to your instinct and uh, you're never too busy to like just get a little of that serotonin or whatever. Good for right. you. Hell yeah. No. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you once again to my friend Jocelyn Chase for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's always good talking to you. It's always good to talk. You ever talk to, you ever you ever talk to somebody for a minute and then you just realize like why don't I talk to them more? Oh, because I'm weird socially and you know this is where everybody's busy and. I feel like every time I reach out to people, I'm like a burden or like too much. And they're like, ugh, this guy again. You know, so, so I just don't. So then I start a whole podcast where I force people to talk to me for an hour because uh, I don't know how to socialize otherwise. That's just as constructive a, of a way to process your weird social anxiety as any I guess but anyway thank you to her and uh, that's about it music is by Shea Bartel you can follow me at Radical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter uh, I'm still taking kind of a break from Twitter eh, follow me anyway fuck it I'll be back one day, and I I want to come back and see more followers. That'll make me feel better. That'll give me a little bit of dopamine, some of that dopamine I need. If I come back and my follower count is is ticked up a little bit, I'll be like, okay, life's worth living. I'll I'll, I'll ride this high for about fifteen seconds before I forget and see a, a bad tweet and get mad again. Anyway, follow me there. Follow the show at Self Worst. You can uh, support the show for as little as a dollar a month on patreon.com slash selfworst. Uh, we got bonus content, like I said. And you would have my undying appreciation. So there's that. All right. Uh, rate and review on iTunes. And uh, do do the thing where you uh, screenshot and tag us on, on Instagram stories. Put us in your stories. And if you do that... I'll shout you out on the show. If anybody is still listening at this point, because we all know it's not, nobody's really listening to the end of this. Uh, now's our, it's just, it's just you and me. It's our little secret. You can tag, you can tag me on Instagram and I'll be like, oh, look, they actually listened to, they, they did it. Anyway. 
Um, then I'll regram you and stuff. We'll be friends. See, making all kinds of friends. All right. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, uh, just fucking mash that dopamine button. <laughs>